Hi, guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another day, another interview. And today I'm really, really delighted to have Christina Glazar with me. Christina has, like all my guests, gone through a journey that she never dreamt about when she was younger. Yet she has come out the other end as a new and improved version, as a stronger woman, as a lioness, as one of my previous uh, guests called herself, uh, because you, you find yourself in places that are not pretty and you learn to take action. You learn to focus on what is really important, loving yourself and then moving forward to create a new future. And Christina has exactly done that. And I'm dead excited to have her on my show so that we can explore her life and the lessons she has learned that she is now teaching her clients. Christina, welcome to my show. I'm so honored to have you on board. Thank you, Stefan, and thank you for this lovely introduction. I'm already, I'm all yours. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it is, it is what it is. It is, you, right. you didn't, you didn't intend to be the, the girl that you are now. You are, exactly. you, when, when you were younger, let's say you were 18, uh, what was your vision then? What was your dream? What did you think you would become when you grow up? I wanted to be free uh -huh. and an adult because my father was an alcoholic mm. And that was the first time in our lives. Mm. So every evening, and I still believed in God back then, I prayed, please let that pass. Let him stop. Let me grow up that we can kick him out and that I can take care of my family. That was my only goal at that age. That's pretty much it. And that is a very, very, very strong driver. How did you yeah. go about it? How did you go about to plan that freedom? Were there things you were able to do when you were living under these circumstances? Well, unfortunately, as I was a teenager, I started partying, you know, doing kind of things my father did. I drank a little too much too often. I didn't uh, study enough for school, all this kind. I wasn't really a naughty girl. I was still a good girl, but I did things that weren't good for me. And I hid it from my mother, telling her little lies where I was going, but she didn't have any means to control me, what I was doing. And I rationalized it, just telling myself I'm protecting her. That's all I do. <laughs> and I think it was my outlet to forget what's at home. And I had a very low self-esteem. So drinking freed me up to be gutsy, courageous. And that's where the title is coming from, Sober is Sexy, because I saw at that time when I'm tipsy, I'm cute, I'm attractive, because then the boys flocked to me, but obviously for other reasons than I thought back then. That was kind of my coping mechanism not the best one, but it got me through my teenage years and an incredible, strong mother who gave us some basic stability and a food, clothing, you know, all that stuff you really need 
and enough love. That's why I was a productive adult or turned into a productive adult as I was 20. Wow. You were to a degree lucky because that was only a period of maybe five years in which you sort of acted out, in which you sort of, uh, uh, in where you hit from the reality by using alcohol and by, right. by going right. out there. That the same, the same crutch of alcohol can be very powerful and can be yeah. there for many people. Many people don't see the light really until they hit the, their late 30s, 40s, even 50s. So, yeah, I was very lucky hmm. because I, I see I never did really drugs because I was too scared to get addicted hmm. by it. I thought I had kind of that thing in my mind to take one time heroin and you're booked, you know, this kind of thing. So I hmm. never did that. Hmm. And uh, hmm. drinking, I didn't do it enough because I was worried I could cross the line as you you know. And that's the interesting thing, because you saw it at home, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So there, there is the, a bit of a, of, a, of a conflict of interest there, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, a huge <laughs> one. <laughs> my kids were certainly uh, very adamant when I stopped drinking, and we then did the amends when I started talking to my teenagers about why I was drinking, all the emotional things that happened, etc. They were very clear they will never, ever, ever drink. Now, in reality, my oldest one is 19 now, and he is having the odd beer, but he's certainly not using it as a crutch. Uh, he's certainly right. not using it for negative ways. Uh, my youngest one is, is 17, turning 18, and he is adamant that he will not drink. And so... Yet, I can very much see how you, as a teenager, found that the drink and suddenly found the, uh, the release, the, the forgetting. You know, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't, it was unconscious to release. For me, it was like I had two girlfriends, best girlfriends, and they were kind of low self esteem too, but for other reasons, they were just young teenagers. So I was the leader of this mini group. So whenever we went out to a bar, which you can do at 17, 16, or could do already, at, you know, in Switzerland, mm -hmm. nobody controlled that you could, as soon as you could peek over the bar, you could order a drink, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. Yeah. I think they changed it a little bit meanwhile. Mm -hmm. So when we went to the bar, none of us dared to go in. But if I ha had a drink, mm -hmm. I went in, you know, so it was to, it was the self-esteem thing. It freed me up for that. Mm -hmm. And of course, it let me forget. And I was traveling in a circle of other teenagers who were all coming from working class families. And I think most of them had similar problems at home. So you kind of got attracted to the same circle of people. And it's something that still strikes me. Maybe it strikes me how lucky I was that I myself and the immediate circle of friends were 
not exposed to abuse in childhood. And yet when I talk to my guests, there is such a huge prevalence of abuse in their, in their younger years. It is extremely scary. I was always shaking my head when I looked at America and at the figures there with regards to, to the incidents of women being sexually abused or raped, uh, which is huge, like one in five, one in four, depending upon the circumstances. And I thought for crying out loud, the girls that I met, there was, uh, to the very best of my knowledge, there was not such a thing happening. Yet, I think I was just only lucky that whilst I come equally from a very poor working class background, I didn't have that. I, there was nothing there. And, and certainly the women that I dated uh, down the line were, uh, were not affected by that because you get to know each other and, 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 and sooner or later you talk about such things. And now I think I'm, I was just so lucky and it wasn't heart. so much, it's more that you, it was men and women equally, you know, around these teenagers and right. just the alcoholism of parents in itself, that they were neglected emotionally, right. this kind of stuff. And right. it was more some of the girls that might have, but you didn't talk about it. At that. I just knew about myself, mm. but not about what was happening in mm. other families. And uh, I... Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, no, no. It's same. I'm a chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> same with me. Same with me. And we have, we both have got our experiences, and that is so right. so beautiful. And I guess that I wrote in my book, My Steps to Sobriety. There's a chapter in there about the silent uh, generation. And with the silent generation, I don't refer now to the people who were born uh, after the uh, Second World War, which typically is called the silent generation. But I'm referring to children from alcoholic families, which have Mm -hmm. learned to be silent. They came home, they never knew what was waiting for them. Is daddy happy or is mummy about to, to have a hissy fit? Um, will they be drunk? Or is he happy? Is, yeah. is it is. He, I love that word. I'm sorry. It is. No, no, it is. Yeah, uh, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. So, and then later on, we know that children from alcoholic families will have much greater difficulties in adult life because mm-hmm. their trust system is completely damaged. They yeah. were so many times that they. Uh, asked daddy, oh, can we do on the weekend X? And daddy was saying, oh, yeah. And then he was pissed on the it weekend. It never happens. That's yeah. right. So so they are used to people lying to them and they're expecting that from people. And then and they're, they're, they're expecting abuse to a certain degree. And when then no abuse yeah, happens, yeah. They, they think, what the hell? Hang on. No, no, no. I can't trust you. I can't trust yeah, you. Yeah, I need it. I need it. <laughs> it sounds so it's, it's, bizarre. It's, it is, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that aspect. I knew what to expect when I came home from school because of my mother. Mm. I had this stability all my childhood. And uh, I honestly, looking back, I think I never missed my father. We would have done much better without him at any <laughs> stage in my memory. So I... Don't feel deprived. The only time when I'm 
reminded that it would have been nice to have had that mm. is when I, I had a wonderful father-in-law. Mm. And he represented what I never had in my life. And I could imagine, oh, it would have been nice, you know. Uh, or fathers of my best girlfriends. I was always attracted to their fathers when they were funny and paid attention to their daughters because my father paid their own attention to me or none at all. But other than that, I didn't really miss that because he got so much love. So in that aspect, I'm mm. extremely lucky. How did your mum gain the strength to be there as a pillar of strength for you? Yeah, I sometimes wonder myself. I think it's her history, maybe. She was born 1932, and she's from Germany. She grew up in Bavaria in a small, small village with tons of children. And uh, she experienced at least the last years of the war consciously. She was 14, I think, when the war ended. And uh, she couldn't get an education because of the war. She couldn't travel anywhere because of the war at the young woman because nobody wanted the Germans. The only place she could go was Switzerland. And she only could be a maid there, a servant. And to come to Switzerland, she had to undergo uh, demeaning health inspections, you know, this kind of thing because they didn't want any sicko Germans in Switzerland. And that's why she kind of ended up with my father, because she wanted a family. Mm. She, she wanted a healthy family. She wanted mm. love. She wanted children. Mm. And uh, that's how it happened. And she worked really hard before she got married in those households. They had one day off, you know, always surfing, uh, cleaning toilets for other people. I can't even imagine. And uh, I think that made her incredibly strong. Mm. And it, it's it's a core of her. I have the same core in me. It's hard to explain. She was hard to defeat. And as she had children, that was her strings. She, that what made her life. She poured everything of her in us, which was good for us, not so much, not so good for her. But uh, I think that's why she made it through it. She just couldn't quit because of us. And she had moments, she told me that later, but it's it's amazing. I, I went through similar stuff as an adult woman without children, mm. just adding a bunch of kids to it. I don't know how you do that, honestly. My heart goes out to her. Uh, and that was the story for so many German children, teenagers, young women mm-hmm. out there, because you have perfectly reflected on what their life was. They were yeah. innocent. They were innocent. They were. Yeah. They were not Nazis. They were not not mm-hmm. uh, any any label that you want to give uh, people yeah. from around that time. But they had to pay the the price. The price, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's so, yeah. So it's the, just... where did the money come from? May I ask? When you was when you were younger, what did your dad do? What where did the money? Come uh, from? <laughs> <laughs> My dad in the 
So I left my home at 20 mm. and my parents got divorced as I was 22. Right. My dad, the last decade of the time we were all together, he was a chauffeur. He was driving for a company delivering uh, wool you know, fabric stuff. He was the driver. And half Never of the had time. <laughs> half of the time, all the time. And that last all the time. Yeah. The... <laughs> God. It's kind of a But he never had an accident. <laughs> Good. He should have never driven sober because he probably would have had an accident yeah, then. Yeah. No, exactly. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah, oh, dear. And my I... mother, of course, worked. She was a cleaning woman. She worked. Uh, in the evening from five to almost midnight to provide because what he made wasn't enough. He was stable in the past, in the, in the last decade of their marriage with the income check. Before he wasn't, he constantly changed jobs, but mm. in the last decade it didn't happen anymore. He got older so and sicker, so he couldn't do that anymore so well. And that's normal. I mean, I'm talking in yeah. my book about all the, the impact of alcohol on the heart, on cancer, on all the other organ systems. Yeah, I read the there's, intro on Amazon of your yeah. book. It's really you. interesting because you have a science background, so you can mm. explain that really well. Uh, and it is, but it is also, we are talking with your dad about a time when, for example, um, the, the people who were transporting the beer to the pubs, these guys were uh, paid uh, partially in money and partially in beer. So they had free beer, and that was the way they were basically drinking. They were driving their initially horse carriages, and then later their their normal right. carriages, and they were just, there. Yeah, I just was thinking about my great grandfather. My father comes from a long line of drunks, so his oh. father was a drunk. You know, it's repeating history: drunks in families, right? Isn't so it? my great great grandfather. Uh, my uh, family is from Graubünden. I don't know. It's a, a mountain, Grishuna, yeah. a mountain part of Switzerland. Yeah. And it's from Bergün. That's a, a tourist destination now. And that was just a little stinky dot between high mountains. <laughs> he had actually a little hotel or restaurant there. That's what's the same, what I got told. And uh, he had a horse carriage where he was in charge of transporting something. I don't remember what they told me, but he was constantly loaded. So he always drove down on the side of one of the bridges and everything fell. And it was a barricade, you know, that they, in, in Roman language, they call it barricade or something. So they called him Barricada Schmid. So Schmid is my maiden name. And that's so he was the town drunk essentially. <laughs> oh dear. So there are some strong genetic influences there. Yes, yes absolutely. And, but I, I discussed it in, in a previous uh, interview with a guest who researched the, the genetic makeup of his family because he was surprised about his own um, love to alcohol. So mm -hmm. he he went into his family history, his ancestry, and he came up with some very interesting 
revelations, so to speak. So I think uh, you have pretty much established that A, from a genetic point of view, you were at risk and B, from an yeah. upbringing. Because mm-hmm. if we, it doesn't matter how strong your genes are. If you're brought up and if you're guided in your life to live a life so beautifully gorgeous uh, that that alcohol simply doesn't doesn't have any place in there, then right. it's probably far less likely that you're gonna uh, get drunk uh, at at some stage in your life. We know also where the timing when you start drinking alcohol, if you if by reasons whatsoever you only start drinking after the age of 25 again it's much less likely that you will become a serious alcoholic compared with mm-hmm. that when you start drinking at 16 so it goes faster yeah. that's right so the, the younger you are the more you are you're prone to getting hooked getting addicted on the dopamine high or mm-hmm. on the on, on the flip side, on the behavioral changes that make your life so much easier. So in other words, that you lose your shyness, the inhibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Life is no longer as dreary and black. No, it's fun. I, 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 I remember exactly how I had my uh, first experience with alcohol. You know, at home, my mother thought, give her a sip, you know. Like many parents do, I think... Honestly, now I think it's a bit controversial now. Parents think it's a controlled situation, but you never know. Mm. So I don't have children. I'm not an expert on it. But, <laughs> but uh, I liked it. It's sweet. It was sweet what I tasted. <laughs> and alcohol is an acquired taste, you know, the strong stuff. So I think it's. I liked this taste. I liked how it made me feel. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And please, let's, uh, for some people, maybe the younger the younger people listening in, for you, it might be strange that, that parents give you uh, a drink. That was absolutely normal. That was absolutely normal. Alcohol. Oh, no, it so, wasn't strange to me. It wasn't strange absolutely, to no. me. No, and no, and no. certainly in, in, in Europe, there is actually a relative healthy drinking culture. So it yeah. is, it is, it is not that, that, Alcohol is glorified, but it was ubiquitous. It was there everywhere. Uh, every mm-hmm. little village in the autumn has got its wine harvest or, or right. celebrating the, the beer or doing whatever. So there's the social uh, life is often surrounding the, the, the seasons the drinking. And, yeah. and as such, the, the drink. For example, there's in, in, in the in the Pfalz, in in the part of Germany where I grew up, uh, we had uh, the the wine festivals there all the time right. um, along the River Rhine, and it we would celebrate the new wine. So you would get this murky, strange liquid that was still bubbling <laughs> and doing things. Oh, really? so, so the sugar had not yet completely converted to oh, alcohol. alcohol. So therefore it was sweet. It was uh, bubbly, a little bit fizzy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, oh dear, oh dear. It was a headache in a bottle. Um, yeah, but that is a headache <laughs> in a bottle. <laughs> oh, I but, know the sweet German wines very well. Uh, <laughs> 
almost all of them are headaches in a bottle. <laughs> oh yes, oh and definitely. But and, and come on, I need to defend a little bit the wine because first of all, the wine that you guys get out there, for example, in the UK, the Liebfrau Milch and the Blue Nun, <sighs> oh, they are the worst. Oh, oh, my God. oh, but but let's be quite clear. Blue Nun, the real Blue Nun. Uh, I think they make about five thousand bottles per year, and it's actually a superb dessert wine that you pay an arm and a leg for to get the real stuff. The shit that you get <laughs> sold overseas as 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 German wine. Especially, oh, yeah. oh, it's awful. I know. It's, so it is let's, awful. Let's defend the wine for what it is. I was growing yeah, listen, up. Listen, I, I have nothing against. <laughs> no, I know, for I know. Me, like... I, I, for me, it's a love. I still like it. Oh. I still have sometimes a colorful drink. Oh. I still have sometimes a glass of champagne. For some reason, I lost a palate for white wine. I used to like white wine. That was my favorite drink. But for some reason, I just don't like it anymore. Maybe because I don't do it often enough. I don't know. Oh, oh please. It is... For me, it would just be one sip and ah, oh, yeah, and then before you would I blink, be very happy. Yeah. Oh, please, <laughs> I would be very happy for a few hours, no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't stop with one bottle. I would would have the next bottle, and then I would put some lovely music on, and I would watch YouTube videos, and I would sing along, <laughs> and I would have a great time, and then for the next twenty four hours, I would feel as if Oh God, the hangover. Oh, it's worse. I mean, huh? up to, I mean, right now, what is it? It's eight thirty-five. So I got up this morning at seven, had a nice shower, and now I'm ready to to embrace the day. Have a great interview with you. Please imagine even one bottle of wine. God, I wouldn't be. I would be a grumpy bear until at least lunchtime, <laughs> probably until six o'clock tonight, and then I would be tempted to drink again. I would already be tempted at, at yeah. 12 o'clock because the eye opener, the hangover goes away after a glass or two of more alcohol. Right. Uh, so I immediately am back in that old time. So no. Yeah, I think pe people don't understand, especially young people, that it's still fun, the drinking, you know, where you enjoy it. They don't understand the danger to know when you cross the line and to know what happens to you. To make it very clear, I remember from my father, as he was really down, gone, he was really heavily addicted. I, can't, I don't even know how to say that. If there are nuances, I don't know. Mm. It was, we lived in a little townhouse at that time, and he was always the first up for obvious reason. He needed alcohol. So he forbade us to come down but I'm an early bird too so I always sneaked down and peeked into the kitchen and there he was barely uh. able to bring up the bottle so it was really bad and if you keep that in mind who wants to go there mm -hmm. no one so true so, so yeah true. so drinking but in moderation not constantly getting loaded mm -hmm. you know what I mean but that is the hard bit, the drinking in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it very easy. Over here, they're the teetotalers. They're the guys who don't drink. Easy. Over yeah. there are the hardcore drunks like your father. Easy. 
So these are mm -hmm. the easy ones. What about the 90% gray drinkers? And that's a very slippery slope there. Yeah, so that it's is super a, slippery. That's right. There's the mummy wine culture. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, look, it's uh, the kids are coming home. Why don't I have a glass of wine or five uh, at lunchtime with my girlfriends? Because I've deserved it. A cocktail so wife. Sure. Cocktail, they go. Yeah, exactly. cocktail that's wife, right. I like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> So it's all that kind of thing. So that is, is that mm -hmm. an alcoholic? No. I Look, I hold a, I hold no. a job. I am a functioning mummy. Yeah. Sip. Um, and yes, it is uh, it's interesting. I saw recently on, on uh, the internet, how do you fool someone in the Zoom meeting? So there was this lady uh, who had a, 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 a cup and she took a tea bag, cut off the tea bag, put it to the side, little bit of a taser film, a little, little bit of tape. With that, she stuck the, the little <laughs> dangly bit of the tea bag, so it came out of the tea, out of the, the cup. Then she filled the cup with white wine, but had that little dangly bit from the tea there. So she was drinking and sipping her white wine oh, in the meeting, oh. whilst everyone thought she was having a nice cup of tea there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's an alcoholic in a nutshell. Let's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That was me. That was me because I was a, <laughs> a high-functioning alcoholic. I was. Yeah. I had all the tricks, and it was just cool. The hiding, the hiding. I had taken to such a level. I that was my. Oh, you guys level. are good. Uh, uh, hiding. It's my <laughs> hobby. Yeah, he was. He's a he was a high-functioning one, and he took it to levels and. If I did find something, he he's a brilliant speaker. He would rationalize it away and confuse me so much that at the end I oh, felt yeah. okay. That's right. That's right. Oh wait, wait, have a look here. I found that vodka in the garage. Oh, that was from last year. Yeah. See, I was. Remember when I was so drunk last year? Yeah, I must have pulled that off and kept it there. <laughs> Uh, do you know how do you can recognize that an alcoholic lies? His lips move. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it took, it, it's lost in the translation. <laughs> so every time an alcoholic opens his mouth, there is a half truth or a lie in there. Okay? It is what it mm -hmm. is. Yeah, we are, yeah that's we are true. Bloody liars. We are hiders. We are, we are, we are who we are in active mm -hmm. addiction. Like it, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and we create our world around that, and we make it so that that it all looks Works. normal towards the outside, and we make sure that the right Facebook pictures are there and the right "I'm having fun" pictures, and I've got a brilliant life pictures. And then when yeah, actually, I see a lot of those where I sometimes think I know the lifestyle of women. I met, you know, along the way since I'm in the United States. And uh, with some, I had happy hours, so I know the drinking habits. And uh, the first thing they always say, oh, it's after work, uh, Zoom, let's booze, let's booze. And I just, sometimes I get just water because I rarely have alcohol at home. I have to actively go out and buy something if I do that. And I like to have a glass, but... Uh, Especially in the evening, it keeps me up at night when it's so hot. So it doesn't do any good to my body with the sleeping and the sweaty feeling. I just don't like that. 
But I sometimes think it's kind of sad that you have to cope with the stress in your life that way that you cannot just lean back or jump in the pool if you have, um, you know, many of my friends have pools because they live in Arizona or here in California. Why don't you do that? Mm. But, but, you know, I'm not them. A while ago, I... Um, I had some bad, bad craving. I had a really shit day. You still really... get them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they're not as common, but they certainly, when they hit, they hit. It's a damn good wave of, oh, yes, I want that. Um, and especially when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. So mm -hmm. when I put two of them together, mm, I might drink, think about a drink. Three of them together, mm. Four of them <laughs> together. Oh, where's the wine? Come on. Bring oh, it, bring it. I know, I know. And it's just, but nowadays I know what triggers me. Nowadays I know uh, that I have not paid attention to my basic needs, mm -hmm. which then makes me, makes the little addict in my head come out and say, Ooh, Lisa, your wife, she would never know. Come on, just one glass. And even, oh God, even if it's three glasses, come on, you, you've got that. And you have deserved it. Look at it. You had a shit day. You deserved it. Oh, you had a good day. Oh, you deserved it. You had a normal day. Oh, let's just reminisce about the good old times and have a drink. It's that kind of thing. It doesn't matter yeah, what, it, what day you, you know had. What? It, it was just like a playback. <laughs> what I just had uh, uh, deja vu because we have a friend, a really dear friend. He's now 73, has been sober for over 20 years. And he described it that way to me. He said, it's like having a little devil on your shoulder. Whispering in your ears, just one. It's no big deal. It's just how you described it. <laughs> it is like that for us. It is. It's it is so amazing. powerful. Oh, please. And it can come at any time. Um, I, uh, when I when I wrote my book, I had some meetings with with the boss of the rehab hospital where I once was admitted. Guy Smith, guy, you're a great guy. You're a great man out there. If you're listening to that, you're my hero. So I had a meeting with him, and he described to me the story of another um, patient who had come through the rehab center. And this guy was a uh, um, landscape gardener. So he did a lot of work out there. And, and uh, this particular job that he was doing, he had to drive past this liquor store again and mm -hmm. again in order to get from where he was working to, to, to the, the house that he was doing up. And out of, out of nowhere, one day he stopped, went into the liquor store, and got himself some some drink. And three weeks later, he was dead, basically. He drank himself. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I know and, a few of those. And that was after many years of sobriety. That was after yeah, many years. Yeah, it can happen at any... Yeah. Exactly. So, it and happens. that's that's why I keep saying you need to work on your sobriety. Because if you don't mm. work on your recovery, you work on your relapse. That is, yeah. you, you have to choose relapse or recovery. That's that's our life. And it is a very active choice because if I mm -hmm. just let myself relax, suddenly there will be a day when I suddenly think, ooh, I could do with a drink. And it only shows me that I have not done the homework. 
I have not paid attention. I have not loved myself. I have not taken mm -hmm. care of myself. So these are That's these so are so 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 easy. So I mean the the you have got such a strong history, such a powerful history. And to see you now going out there and actually making life better is so beautiful. And you are specializing in your work. You're specializing to help women or partners of alcoholics to, to live the life that they want to live. I think that is the yeah. right way of putting it. Yeah, because exactly. alcohol is one one aspect of a journey, but there are many other aspects there, and I find that such a beautiful thing. When I when I read that about you, I knew I need to get you onto my my uh, podcast here to to just discuss that. Um, yeah. What what made you? Or when did you make that decision that you wanted to help others? Uh, my husband got sober in 2010. And it was a rough time, to say the least. It was as the economy tanked. So we didn't have an income that made it even harder. We didn't have health insurance and all the good stuff. And then... Uh, uh, in, in 2013, you know, I, I struggled too, you know, to get, find myself again. I couldn't feel myself anymore. I got lost. And at some point I thought, I have to do something. He said, it can't be that I had a father. And I experienced that and later on ended up that way, that this was all for nothing. So I essentially did it for me. I thought I know so much about that stuff. And I know what you can do to make yourself feel better. Why not share that? And then I got the coaching certification because I needed to learn how to talk with people, how to guide people from A to B, you know, in half an hour or an hour, because I wasn't, I can talk as you, I can listen and understand. But uh, you have to have an outcome at the end of a session. And I needed to learn the technique. And I specialized in recovery coaching. It was essentially for recovering alcoholics. But it doesn't really matter. It just certified me and gave me some credibility. Because the key ingredient, ingredient that I bring to the table is really my personal experience, my story, and sharing what I did and what give them ideas and options what they can do, go to Al-Anon or any other self-help group, Smart Recovery. I don't know if you heard about them. I think they're fantastic because they're not religious, not leaning on any religion. Mm. And uh, yeah, all that stuff, because I remember as I went the first time to Al-Anon, it was incredibly hard. It was at the time where I had nobody else to talk. I was really desperate. I just needed to get it out somewhere to belong. And it was like I had stones attached to my feet as I walked into that room. <laughs> and once I was in there and it was my turn to talk, I thought they wouldn't say something because I always kept it to myself. But it was like a dam broke. Everything 
came out, I was crying, blah, blah, blah. But it was a relief. And I want others to understand it gives you relief if you go to a group and can share and then learn from others. So for those of you who, who are listening in and who are new to recovery, Al-Anon is an offshoot of AA. AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, and Al-Anon is a, a, a group system which is designed for the loved ones that live with alcoholics, right. who have got their own burdens, who have got their own needs to understand, who have got their own frustrations. So therefore, right. they can be incredibly powerful because if you think about it, one in three people have got a chemical addiction. And at least, mm -hmm. uh, we're talking at least one in five is using alcohol uh, in a dangerous way. So right. if, if you now say one in five, and that each of these 20% of the population has at least one significant other, then you're actually saying you're virtually half of the population is in trouble yeah. with regards to alcohol. Yeah. Yet, yeah. if you look at the people who would say, or if you ask those people and say, look, have you had a chance to talk to someone about it? The vast majority will say no, because I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. I'm so guilty that, that I can't help my husband. I'm so, mm -hmm. um, I may be codependent. They, they, they wouldn't use words like that, but that right, might be another, no, yeah. that would yeah. be another, another thing that is happening. So it is so much, so many reasons are out there where people essentially not seeking the help that they deserve and that they maybe ought to, which would empower them to put boundaries down on right. the ground. and live a better life. Correct, correct. So and it's free, it's free. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's, that's right. key because someone said once to me, only once in a blue moon does an alcoholic have health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. And, uh, Talking about extreme cases, you know, who lost their jobs and everything. So true, so true. So Al-Anon is certainly one option. Now, again, I, I love it that you brought up the, the religious aspect. Uh, for some AA groups, religion is incredibly strong and it's mm -hmm. part of AA. And the original mm -hmm. setup of AA was religious. Not that Bill Wilson was really a strong religious man, but he was a very good salesman. And it was in the, in the 30s, 40s, where he yeah, essentially said, time. that's right, so how do you, how do you sell our, our, our system that we know works, but how do you actually bring it out? And he figured it, okay, if we actually talk in the language of God uh, and bring it out there, this will, this will be more likely to succeed. So that's the interesting uh, little tidbit that not many people sort of know. Bottom line is, uh, there are AA groups out there that are very religious. And if you are religious, bingo. It's this, wonderful. This is, a, this is a match for you. If you're not religious, like me, I still went through AA and I still got a wonderful insight. It's a system. It's a system that mm -hmm. gets you better. 
Um, my book, My Steps to Sobriety, in that I describe the system, but I take God out of the equation. So, oh, you do, right? Yes, I should buy absolutely. that book. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> well, exactly. Because for me, yeah. God, God is a group of orderly drunks. Or a group of druggies. <laughs> okay? So, because there's, it's the power. It, yeah. It's the power of, of the group around you. The power of the people right, who right. have learned skills to say no. Who are now living a different life. And that's the power that you want to harness. This is, you can't get, it's, it's very, very, very unlikely that you can get sober alone. It is, it's possible, but the chances are stacked against you. Yeah, they are slim. But when you are, when you are with a life coach who is holding you accountable, when you find a mentor through AA, when you are working in a system like Smart Recovery or Women for Recovery or the many other systems that are out Mm -hmm. there. You just have um, to find one that fits you. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Try it out. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, there are there are groups that are specializing in LGBT. There are groups out there that are specializing right. in other subgroups. There is certainly uh, Islamic uh, Islamic systems out there. There are people in the Sikh community. I mean, Sikh in, in the UK. Isn't that a, wonderful? It is. It is. I, in the 70s, there was yeah. AA and Al-Anon. I didn't even know about Al-Anon. Yeah. And there was a teenager in the 70s. I didn't yeah. even know about mm. them in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it yes. was a lot more shameful. Now they have commercials on TV, for heaven's sake. <laughs> they didn't have that 15 years ago. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we need to do it. That's why I'm sitting yes. here and opening my heart and my mouth so that people can see that an alcoholic can turn his life around with the right help and now go out there and hopefully turn the life of others around by sharing the stories. And that's right. And whilst I'm not, the giving back sounds corny to me, but I guess to a certain degree, it is what it is. It is. You know, it keeps you, it keeps you on track. That's true. You can't help somebody else if you are not taking care of yourself. That's true. I tell you something, it might surprise you. Uh, early on, my husband took me to two open meetings of AA and some gatherings they had, you know, what they do. And those two meetings helped me more than Alanon. <laughs> and I tell you why it gave me hope. Because there were so many who stood up. I have 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. That gave me hope. You saw these really broken people in there who were struggling, were holding with their fingernails onto sobriety. And then there were others who were on the other side and shared their story. And that Mm. helped me. So beautiful. And you, the white necklace, I call the guys who are holding on to, ah, I don't need to yeah. drink, but I need at least two, two meetings a day so that I don't drink because they actually haven't done the homework, so to speak. Right. They, haven't, yeah, the- they haven't delved into the reasons why you drink. They haven't looked at those kind of things. So, so true. So true. So guys, I guess the one big lesson out of, out of that is there are actually a lot of resources out there. Yes. And there are a lot of people out there who have been exactly in your shoes. 
mm-hmm. and then some. Okay. You think you've got it bad? It doesn't matter what you're going through. When you come into rehab or when you come into uh, into groups and listen to what people have been doing around you, you just sometimes think, oh my God, have I been lucky? And that was exactly with me. I was resentful to the nth degree. I was so bad. And I was, I was angry that all the things that had happened to me. It was all about mm-hmm. me. Poor me, poor me, poor me, another right. one. Um, so it was that kind of thing. And then my, my case manager uh, gave me a book to read, Rise, and, or Rise Up, something like that. The book was written by a lady whose husband was not a nice man and whose husband decided to kill the lady's father and her children there in the driveway with a knife in front of her eyes. And I read that it's, and I thought, oh okay, my oh my God, how, how, how can you live? And then I immediately compared it with what I was going through and I thought, I better keep my mouth shut here because <laughs> that, is, that is something else. Um, and this was the first time that the selfish me, the selfish, self-centered nearly narcissistic me got the wake-up call to actually say, wow, okay, let's, yes, you have got some bad things happening in your life, but let's actually mm-hmm. put it into perspective. And that was a very important thing for me to do, to step outside of myself and start that journey of mindfulness, of, of looking what is happening, where your emotions are coming from, but looking from outside, from here, having the camera up there and looking, okay, why are you angry? Why are you feeling Mm -hmm. the way you're feeling? And that was only happening um, really during rehab when people out there helped me to deal with the shit that I was going through and helped Mm -hmm. me to explore what was going on. And for that, you need help. For that, you need Yeah, yes, I... For that, you Absolutely. need people like, like Christina. You need people like, like Alanon. You need people uh, who have been there, who truly hand on heart have been there. These are not people who, you know, they just thought, oh, I, I fancy earning a bit of money as a coach. It's nice and hubbly bubbly. And it's very rarely that these people are life coaches. Um, people who are life coaches typically have gone through some tremendous I honestly... Trauma. I think, oops, I honestly think you have to have some sort of personal experience with this kind of stuff in the field of addiction. And it doesn't matter if it's drugs or, you know, whatever, that you really understand the person that sits in front of you. So true, so true. Because who do you, I mean, if somebody who has a happy marital life never went through anything like that, and they say, oh, oh, he drinks. Go, leave. Why don't you leave? <laughs> I have no clue. It's not that simple. So, so if, but if somebody who left her husband and tells me why, because she went to this experience and what it took her to take that step, or in my case, 
why I stayed and what I did to make that work for me and him, then they believe me because it's coming from my heart. It's coming from my own life. Otherwise, I can't, I, I tell you, as my husband was uh, in the emergency room as he got some help, a social worker came in and she said to me something like, uh, oh, he's very lucky to have you. That's very crucial to his recovery. And while that is true, probably, I just thought, F you, what about me? <laughs> yeah. What about you? That's right. That's so true, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that focus, because there may very well be people who are listening in now who are loved ones and who are listening to this podcast because they want to know what the hell is my my wife drinking so much why the hell is my father drunk and if you look on quora or or other systems in the in on the internet where people can ask questions oh, why. that is again why are they drinking so much what can i do my father is out of control my husband is out of control mm -hmm. so let's talk about that let's talk about the work that you are doing and the principles that you are instilling into your clients? Well, first of all, and I think that's key, you eliminate the question why. There can be all kinds of reasons. You will never really know, even if you get sober. They have their reasons, and it's their journey, not yours. So just scratch that from your mind. You don't have to search for the why. You don't have to try to control the situation because you can't. Whatever you do, if you stay at home all the time, he will drink and hide it. If you leave, he will drink and not hide it and hide it before you come home. It doesn't matter. The only thing you can do is be focused on yourself and start your own healing. And then you do exactly what you described, what you did in your uh, therapy, in your rehab, explore yourself, explore your dreams, your wishes, what you want from life, what stands in the way, what you can do to make yourself happy right now. Doesn't matter regardless of what he's doing. I didn't do that because you get so absorbed and dissolved into the world of addiction and trying to control your partner that you cease to exist. It's not about you anymore. And you almost, you are the victim. You are the personification of a victim. And everybody out in the world says, yes, you're a victim, you poor thing. And you have to learn to erase that because you can turn it around and make yourself a hero because you matter. And you have to learn that you matter because your self-esteem is destroyed. You have to rebuild that. That's what I do with my clients. Like self-exploration, rebuilding your self-esteem, listing your dreams and wishes, uh, finding things to do that make you happy and build it into your life, regardless if you what he does and regardless if you're going to leave or not. Because if you are leaving, you still have to heal. Otherwise, you 
take all your own dysfunctional behavior right into the next relationship. And you might end up where you were with another man who has the same needs, needs the same thing from you, supporting an addiction. Oh, very good. Very good. I couldn't agree more. The other way around, or the, the thing to be said about this approach is that you are leading by example, by looking after yourself. And yeah. certainly when I returned from rehab, I had learned new habits. I had learned new techniques. And I thought, wow, I'm the bees and E's. I'm good. And then I came <laughs> home and I expected kudos. I expected here, oh, wow, daddy, you got your shit together. And there was none of that Didn't because happen, yeah. they had no idea what I had done. They had mm. no <laughs> idea because they were stuck in their rut. My wife was still struggling, didn't know where the money is coming from because I was in hospital. She, there were many other things that, that, kept, her, that yeah. kept her busy. And so it was very, very bizarre for me to, it, I expected some kind of recognition, none of that. And I had to learn that talk is cheap and that you have to walk the walk, that you really mm -hmm. have to do living amends. You have to actually, your actions mm -hmm. need to speak, not your mouth. And so, exactly. and that is what was happening. But then, whilst my children and my wife didn't have the psychological teachings and, and support and, and things like that, they, however, saw how I changed. And they saw that I would far less likely fly off the handle be angry, etc. I would be more humble. I would listen. And only then thereafter, I would respond and probably be far less venom and anger, mm -hmm. but rather looking at what was said and why it was said. Mm -hmm. And that completely changed the dynamics. So by, yeah, by so. me learning about myself and changing how I respond, suddenly the people around me are, were listening up and were looking and were thinking, what the hell? And I was joking yesterday with another guest that it is very hard for my wife and me to have a row now, to have a fight, because we both have learned to listen and we both are asking us, okay, what is he really saying? Or what is she really saying? And why is she really saying it? Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> darling, are you hungry? Are you? It is, it's, um, that's fine. You haven't had breakfast, have you? Oh, yeah. I do oh, yeah. That's true. Shall, shall I make you a breakfast? Come on, have a, have a toast here. Uh, oh, okay, okay. End of the fight. Um, or or the, the kind of, um, often enough, is a classic, classic. Since I know my wife. I would come home for a busy, busy day at work and I walk through the door and I still have the hand on the handle of the door and there she would be, blah, 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 blah. She would tell me every single problem that had occurred to her within a minute, not for me to do something about it, 
just that she could unload. To share, yeah, I, to I, share. Was, I was like that, exactly, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> and that immediately, you know, I've just come from so many problems and I opened the door and woof, there's like a wave coming out, <laughs> out of the house of, 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 uh, of, of problems. And I thought, oh my God. And nowadays, what happens, I come home, I kiss my wife, and more often than not, I say, look, I, I just go upstairs and lie myself down or, or go to the minutes. gym. That's right. Give me 10 minutes. Um, and then we're talking. She says, okay. And yeah, I now you understand. Exactly. But that time, yeah. I've calmed down. And I come down. Okay, now tell me. You know what happened today. <laughs> and then she says, and that's beautiful. And then we can, and she understands that I'm a fixer, a doer. So she understands. Yeah, and usually are, yeah, uh, that's and that's fine. And, that and, I know. and I understand that she is a sharer. So here I am. And sometimes I find myself in I want to do things, and I, I have to stop her and say, Darling, do you just want to tell me that? And you are quite or happy to deal to with it yourself, or would you like me to take that on? And by just it's asking, good you ask that, yeah, absolutely, that absolutely. Yeah, and she said, no, 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 I don't want you to do anything. You're so busy. No, no, but I want to share with you. Yeah, and we are not mind readers. We have to clarify situations, right. right? What am I doing? I'm analyzing my own emotion because immediately my emotion is I'm getting anxious. I want to do things. I want to. I want to mm -hmm. be a manly man, fix solving. Yeah. So I fix it. I'm a fixer. Um, so I want to do that, and the. The, in the past, we would have had a row by now because I mm -hmm. would immediately try to fix it and she would be right. upset because I'm not listening to her. She just right. wants to share. She just wants to vent. Mm -hmm. Complete different different agendas here, but because we have now recognized that, how we tick, no more row. So no more fight. So it's, it's right. bizarre. From, from a couple that was constantly, constantly either making wild, passionate love or ripping each opposite. other's hair out, the opposite. It right. is just, that was the two versions that we had. We had roller coasters, emotional, wow. Uh, <laughs> nowadays, we are just so different. It's more balanced. You know what, right. I think it's also very important to understand that once your partner goes into recovery, that everything is going to change. It's not the same anymore because most women expect everything is wonderful, peachy, you know, and, oh, we are happy forever after. And that's just not going to happen. You have to give each other time to heal, to go your own road. And sometimes it takes a long time to come together again that you are, traveling the same path but first you have to figure out yourself what your journey is before you can go together again and then you have to go for a lot of small stuff that doesn't matter you know what i mean the little stuff so i had to learn that the hard way you know i like us, to control my environment give us some, uh, give us some like examples christina yeah uh, the i'm i'm I have German blood. I like to order around me. My husband is the total opposite. He's <laughs> a slob in my eyes. <laughs> so he walks around, he leaves doors or drawers open, you know, you know, the cupboards, and it drove me nuts. 
And it drove me nuts for years. And I couldn't wait. I knew if I get up and close it and he sees it, it pisses him off. It annoys him. So I was sitting there waiting, waiting until he left the room, but I could really quick <laughs> close it. And then eventually it, it becomes such an overwhelming urge to do that. You can almost not control. It's like getting a drink if you need one. It's so strong. And eventually I realized I have to let go for my own sake. I'm still not perfect. But they have gotten a lot better. And that's this, and that's usually it's just a little stuff in our relationship that they learn to let go or not react right away, you know, things like that. I think and it it's my piece, you know, it's for my personal piece too. It's selfish. I do things for myself and feel good. I think we have got the same, just other way around between Lisa and me, mm-hmm. and we are making jokes out of it. Uh, I I don't know why there is one corner uh, kitchen cabinet that I do not close. I cannot explain why. <laughs> it is just one of them that keeps open, and it is my wife. Just we both look at each other. We laugh about it um, because it is just such a weird thing. But uh, we choose our battles. We there. Yeah, you have to. You exactly. got to. I mean, that's in every marriage you have to do that, but more so when you're in this type of relationship. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, humor is a great way to mm. let tension go. That's a Isn't great it? way if you can do that. Yeah, nice. that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And it's the emo- I, remember there's also the, the Stephen Colby's concept of the emotional bank account that you actually you can't always take out in a bank account. You actually have to put mm-hmm. something in. Yeah. So therefore, if you um, if I have just washed up, stacked the dishwasher, have cleaned the oven down, and then the cupboard is open, well, darling, get a grip. Okay, I have just done all the other thing. So yeah, choose yeah. your bloody battle. But I have paid into the bank account because right. I have actually doing... done things. Okay, exactly. if I would have if I would have been sitting on the couch with my hands in my trousers like the and a, and a wife Peter shirt on and say, "Bring me another beer," I don't <laughs> think wife Peter shirt. <laughs> you know these kind of white things there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. If then then that cupboard becomes a trigger. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's yeah. all put it into perspective. So Exactly. And, and for Christ's sake, um, I, when I was still drinking, I was a man who felt that I was disrespected. Uh, they, they, my kids don't respect me. They don't wash up. They are. And it was a bone of contention mm-hmm. for me. Well, maybe I did not deserve the respect with the way I was behaving. And if you start loving yourself, if you start working on yourself, helping yourself, looking after yourself, suddenly you become a different person and people start respecting you because Mm -hmm. of the boundaries that you have set for your own life. And that is not common that people do that. And therefore, yeah. if you suddenly model that behavior and say, I'm looking after myself now, then 
you actually gain respect from the people around you, regardless who they are. Even if it is your partner who is still in the alcoholic haze, the moment you start respecting yourself, loving yourself, helping yourself. It's a game that, changer. Absolutely. The dynamics change yeah. completely. Yeah. And that's and you can see that every you can see that everywhere in life. Hmm. I changed my whole circle of female friends, except for the ones in Switzerland, you know, my ties yeah. there who are my best, best friends. Uh, because I had very, very poor boundaries. I had people always coming to me who had huge problems, or they only came to me when they had a problem because I'm a good problem solver. I listen, I'm, and I have something uh, that they respond to me that uh, makes them happy when they are with me. I don't know how to explain that. So they hang out with me on Zoom or whatever, and then they go away really energized and feel good about themselves. And therefore, I attracted all these women. And eventually, and that just in recent three years, I learned that to do that with my world, I realized that it gets me down. Mm. Because it tracks you down if they only want to talk with you because something really bad happened in their life. And then you listen to them and encourage them. And it gets a little old all the time. And then you think, where am I? <laughs> so I really changed it. And there are a lot of uh, party girls among them where I just can't, I can't take that anymore because I changed and they didn't. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. So I set boundaries and uh, attract now other people who respect that a little more. You know, they it's kind of even, you know, give and take. And it's not selfish to do that. On the mm -hmm. contrary, it's mandatory. It is, it is crucial to your own survival that you yeah. put yourself first. Remember in the airplane, if there is an yeah. emergency, the oxygen comes down, the mask stop down. What do they teach you? Put the oxygen give first on yourself. Yeah. That's right. First on yourself. Then right. take the other one too. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, first exactly. on yourself and then help the others. Who does yeah. that? No one. We are all the bloody heroes. We are all mm -hmm. you. I'm strong. No, no, no. You are strong yeah, if, you, if you look after yourself. <laughs> don't you observe that on Facebook? Sometimes I find it amusing because I have a lot of females who are connected to me. So that they, especially now, because of COVID in the United States, you're really all stuck at home or should be. Uh, there are all these postings, you know, about self-care. And then there are these questions. So what is your best quality? And then they list all their wonderful qualities. I'm a good listener. I'm, uh, you know, I'm always helpful, you know, all that stuff. And I look at that and think, oh, my God. You describe yourself as Saint Mary, and what does it get you at the end of the day? It's not real. I mean, you can be good. I help people. Hopefully, they get something out of it, but they also want to get paid. Otherwise, I couldn't do what they do. You know <laughs> so what true. I mean? So true. But it's all part and parcel of Facebook. You're feeding your own ego. You are, you are basically, uh, it's another way of putting a facade up, of putting a mask up. And mm -hmm. it is, oh, 
I mean, it's that's it's if you look at at the pictures that those women pose, they're probably all. <laughs> Sherlock Dirt, because they know that this is the nice side, and this is you, I, I swear. I know, I, absolutely. I swear there are girls out there who I've never seen the other side of their face. I, I, they, I'm not sure that they have another side, because that's always the first that I see. And for fuck's sake, honestly, let's get real. This is the, we are talking about real human beings here. When it comes to sobriety. Those masks need to go. They go down. Yeah, okay. they need to go. Absolutely. So, because if you it's all raw. At that point where it goes, okay. it's all raw. It's about life, yeah. survival, yeah. Yeah. and learning to be you again. Yeah. I think for both sides, you know, whether you're the drinker or the one next to the drinker, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just a little bit harder for the drinker because he has to get rid of his biggest uh, coping, whatever thing his best friend oh yeah but equally as how many couples are out there where both of them are drinking and where oh, oh god yeah yes, ex exactly so there you are so there might be one person who comes to his <clears throat> limits or her limits and say enough is enough but then you've got the whole dynamic now of a partnership that is often built upon alcohol and yeah that, that can be in a nice way for example they share. I had. I know a couple who um, had always one bottle of wine together in the evening um, when they shared dinner together. And he was an architect, and he was uh, he was religious about it because he was celebrating his marriage with his wife. They were sitting down together, a bottle of wine together, dinner together, talking together. That it was sounds what was, wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, is, yeah. But then the same guy broke his ankle. And so he had to be in hospital and had to have his ankle fixed. Now, that takes a few days. He, mm -hmm. within 24 hours, ended up in a nasty, nasty delirium because oh, his body... Yeah, yeah, he didn't his, realize. That's right. He never drank more. They, they, just literally one bottle of wine between the two of them. But that was their life for many wow. years. That's right. And, and that was enough to do that. that. Was, wow. Absolutely. So, you know, it is, uh, you might not know How that you're in trouble. I, That's right. Yeah. And it is so, therefore, it is the, it is the great drinkers out there that, that for them it is so difficult. Once you come to, to a scenario that is so painful and embarrassing out there that you really have to change, well, that's actually yeah. quite easy. That's rock bottom. Yeah, he has so, no choice. Yeah. That's right. But it's there in between the gray zone where you have choices. And it's hopefully, you know, there's a good reason that you guys are listening in here to that podcast or watching that YouTube video because something tells you that something is not right. You otherwise and you would something have, isn't, yeah. Yeah. So therefore, maybe just listen to to what Christina and I sort of are saying and 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 try to think, is my life really the life that I want to live? Or is it time to redefine who I want to be and what would be the steps that I need to take to become that new me? And I think that is so, so, so important. If once you come to that, that place in your journey, this is when miracles happen. Because you have yeah. no idea where your life will go from there. But I can 
I can swear on my heart that your life will become better, richer, mm -hmm. fuller, full of joy, full of, full of such wonderful experiences that you couldn't even imagine right now. It will change. And there is a nice saying, the only thing that changes in sobriety is everything. Sobriety is a liberator. Like yeah. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. changes your life. And, and it the is. people around you, for the people yeah. around you yeah. too. Yeah. Absolutely. So and it's no. something positive. It's I, I wanna also say it's something positive. It's not shameful. No, no. Because But, once you're in the grip of it, you know, it's it's hmm. you don't it's like an illness. You know, that's controversial how you call it. Is it an illness or not? To mm. me, it doesn't matter. Once it becomes chronic, you can't be without it. So you have to do something about it mm. and not walk around, keep walking around with a broken <laughs> leg, right? <laughs> so I just need to reach down. I hope I've got a DVD here. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. This is here dvd pleasure, pleasure. Un unwoven and that is by a gentleman kevin mccauley who i have actually invited to come onto this show kevin is a uh is a wonderful wonderful uh physician from the united states who has produced two videos about 10 years ago in which he is examining uh the Uh, alcoholism and what it does to people and he explains it in beautiful simple terms and one of his That's videos good. is focusing specifically on the question is alcoholism a disease spoiler alert it is and he will explain it in perfect words words that are far more eloquent than i can do so therefore i'm trying to get him on onto the show and just sort of i contacted him and i'm waiting to hear back He is, uh, it will be absolutely beautiful and amazing because this man has been on his own journey and uh, is, yeah, he was the first doctor, apart from myself, that I heard was in trouble. Nowadays, I know that there are many of my colleagues. Oh, I know one. I have a girlfriend. Her husband is a a psychiatrist and he's a recovering alcoholic and he is now his specialty is now working with alcoholics recovering alcoholics so he's specializing it he's yeah. from pakistan originally. oh brilliant brilliant yeah we need to talk after that that uh that interview here um so i guess what i'm trying to say is guys this is this is a complete different story that is beyond today here because we are soon sort of wrapping up you, you spent an hour with us here on the on our podcast you guys are gorgeous that you that, that obviously we, you we we ring a bell with you and that's really really important so bottom line is we'll talk about the other things in another interview christina if people feel a link with you they feel that wow i really want to work with christina uh, how can they get hold of you it's very simple i have a web page where all informations are on it all my links to my social media profiles and you can either just type in christinaglasar.com or chgconnect.com it brings it to the same page 
Beautiful, Very easy. beautiful. And guys, we've got the description of, uh, sorry, we've got a link down in the description of the YouTube and of the podcast. So just click on it and and see uh, if you can make maybe an initial call with Christina and explore where do you want to go. Um, if even if Christina is not is not your cup of tea, um, think who else can help you. Right. If you're living right. in, a, in a bit of a larger town, there might very well be an Al-Anon meeting. There might very well be an AA meeting. There might be uh, another uh, recovery, a smart recovery. So many so many things out there. They go online now. They yeah. are all online now, the meetings. Yeah. So you can go there too. Yeah. yeah. Having said that, there is something to be said, actually, feeling the weight on your shoulders, literally acting, actually walking into a meeting that is an experience that is unique. So mm-hmm. actually you making the effort and attending such a meeting and just listen and literally look at the people around you that can be incredibly powerful. Yes. It's a different different thing. You know, looking here at the screen, looks a bit like telly. I'm watching telly here. In reality, I'm talking, I've got a great meeting with Christina here. But it's one thing to sit in your own bedroom having the pajamas on. Uh, and watching something versus actually going to to a meeting. So once COVID has calmed down, oh yeah, and please go is, in person. That's yeah. right. So it is it is it is very empowering, and therefore I don't mm-hmm. want to take that away from you. Having said that, you don't need to wait until COVID is finished. Um, you yeah. don't need to wait until isolation is finished. On the contrary, right now you might be at a point that you want help, that you need help, and that you're ready for help. Well, mm-hmm. they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Here we are right. today. One teacher has appeared in the form of Christina. There might be also now the, the, the willingness by yourself to find other teachers. Listen to that voice. Go out there. Find someone that holds you or who holds you accountable and who supports you and to guide you because he or she has been there and now wants to share the techniques and the skills for you to find yourself, to set boundaries, to find out how to love yourself. Nicely said. hmm. (laughs) Oh, Christina. Christina, thank you so, so much. You're welcome, thank you. Oh, please, it was a great interview. I'm very, very grateful, humble that that you spent the time with me and that you- Of course, anything to- Get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we are here yeah. to make this world a little bit better, one interview mm-hmm. after the other. So thank exactly. you so much, Christina, for your time. And you guys out there, thank you so much for listening in. If you liked what we were talking about, press the subscribe button down there. Uh, tell your friends about uh, this resource. Tell your friends about the podcast, the YouTube channel. If you like me, look up my steps to sobriety on Instagram where there's basically a morning message coming out. So here you go. There's so many things how how we can connect and how we can make this a bit of a better world. So bring these figures up there, the the likes and the subscribes, because that means that uh, the Facebook algorithms, etc., will be more likely to pick up what we are doing here. So yes, your help can help us to help others. Cool. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Look after yourself. Bye.